Raptors and the Wizards. So you know this. Yeah. So for this, this these two teams, I feel like they're the polar opposites of each other. You know, you look back to last year; they played the exact same way, isolation-heavy teams, relying on their superstars, whether it's Lowry and DeRozan or Beal and Wall. But I feel like this year it's totally changed how they they've they've played, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, big props to Dwayne Casey. Somehow he's gotten Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan to buy into this. New ball movement style, and they've stuck with it for 82 games. I think that's been the biggest surprise. And it'll be interesting now to see when they get to the playoffs if they actually stick to this new style or they go back to the isolation, ball heavy, or ball stopping、uh, tendencies when it, the games get close. And also, you got to think about the yips, right? You always know that Lowry's got trouble when it comes to big games. We saw that in the last game when they were playing the Cavs. You know, they, Lowry just didn't show up. He he isn't who he normally is. He doesn't have that swagger when the pressure is on. So that's really that's what、true. I'm worried about. Is 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 that who he's going to be this playoffs? If that is, and this is going to be、uh, not the Raptors we saw in the regular season. That's true. But in Lowry's defense, he did say he went to the Villanova game the night before. So I don't know if he was you know partying late, got 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 into Cleveland kind of late, and he was just out of it. Or we'll see. <laughs> And although DeRozan, you know, normally traditionally thought of as the deep two、uh, points shooting player, he stretched his game out this year, which I really appreciate. I think, you know, he's still shooting in the low thirty percent,、uh, so he's not that great. But at least he's making teams come all the way out to guard him at the three point line. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things their whole offense changed is now that he accepted this role that I got to shoot threes and I can't just be shooting mid range. So their whole Raptors offense changed. Yeah, they've been But, playing in perfect harmony this year. But、uh, you know, when we talk about the Wizards, it's kind of the opposite. They've been、uh, as disgruntled as any team can get. <laughs> yep, your boy Martin Gortat tweeting at John Wall. <laughs> yeah, things are getting things are getting a、uh, a little bit heated. You know, that players only meeting、uh, didn't do much for them. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I I wonder if like so. What do you think? Do you think Bradley Beal and John Wall actually like each other, or they don't actually like each other? It's hard to tell. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really think they're, they're into each other. I think each of them thinks that they can carry the team without the other. And the problem is, it seems like everyone's turned on, on, on John Wall. You know, they were, they were tweeting out, oh, team basketball, oh, you know,、uh, moving the ball around. It's just, it feels like the team's given up on John Wall. And what I'm interested to see is when it gets to crunch time and the game is close,、uh, is John Wall going to be on the bench? I feel like they need him. So when I when I was watching these Wizards games, when John Wall wasn't there, 
the first three quarters they be pretty good. The whole ball movement works, but I think where they really need John Wall is the fourth quarter. The game set close, and they need someone to just go out there and make a play. And only Bradley Beal was able to do that. And I think now when John Wall's there, they both somehow can just figure out how to play together. And it's weird because last year I feel like they really figured it out. Like Wall and Beal were playing so well, and they were like almost unbeatable at home. And they took the Celtics to a game seven. But so I don't know what happened this year. Maybe in the off season they had some issues, or John Wall or Bradley Beal they didn't come into shape into camp. But the Wizards were just off this year. Yeah, yeah, and you know everyone wants to see the iconic John Wall draining the three at the end of the you know at the end of the game like he did last year in the playoffs. Uh, but the question becomes: Are they going to be passing the ball around, or is he going to be a ball stopper? I mean, I've been a Knicks fan for a long time. I've seen Melo be a stopper of the ball, and I know what that does to the team morale. If the team like Otto Porter isn't getting his reps, uh, or Kelly Oubre is not getting up his shots, are they just going to give up in the playoffs? And or Martin Cortat, or even Martin Cortat. <laughs> yeah, but maybe, I mean, the other thing in this series that I'm interested to see is Scott Brooks is finally going to realize that John Wall or Bradley Beal should always be on the floor for all 48 minutes, something he never did with Russ and KD. Yeah. Um, that'll be another interesting thing to see if Scott Brooks can finally, you know, show that he can actually coach. Yeah, we'll I don't think he can coach. I think he's, he's too worried about um, the star players being there and not getting not getting the reps that they need. I, I, I don't know. I think Scott Brooks is uh, playing checkers when Dwayne Casey's probably be playing chess. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like inconceivable. Like the fact that he never thought that Russell KD should always be on the floor in a playoff game. And maybe I, it seems like they should always have it, especially since if John Wall and Beal aren't very great at playing together. Maybe staggering their, staggering their minutes might be better so that one of them is always on the floor. Exactly. I mean, it didn't, it didn't take uh, Mike D'Antoni that long to figure that out, right? Always have Chris Paul or James Harden on the court. So that way, you know, each of them has their time alone, but then they also get some time together. That's true, yeah. And, and look at the Rockets. I mean, they were just amazing. We'll talk about them a little bit later, but they were just amazing this year once they D'Antoni realized that. Yeah, my worry about the Raptors is they've relied a lot on their bench players, you know, and as, as we come to the playoffs, we traditionally see the lineups get shortened, you know, instead of going to nine man deep, you go to six or seven men deep, um, putting a lot of pressure on their, uh, their young supporting players. Uh, are they going to be able to do what they need to do? You know, are they going to be able to perform? They've had guys like, uh, like the rookies just playing out of their minds. Yeah, like Fred Van Vliet was just one of the biggest, I mean, he's not a rookie, he's a second year now, but he was just one of the biggest surprises this year. Yeah, and the question comes down to, are they going to be able to guard John Wall, you know, going downhill? Kyle Lowry is, you know, a formidable defender when he wants to be, but when when it comes to the second unit, is Van Vliet, who's traditionally, you know, thought of as a really small guard can be able to stop Wall from getting into the paint. And I think one of the biggest things for the Raptors is the whole year they had this amazing depth and they had a 10-man lineup or a 10-11-man lineup. But like you were saying in the playoffs, the rotation shortened. So maybe their advantage with depth in the regular season may not be there anymore because everyone's rotation shortens. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, my question for you is, do you think they can finally win a game one? They've lost nine straight. And a lot of them at home. You think they'll finally be able to get a game one? I think if they're going to ever win a game one, this is the year, right? They have they have all the chips on their side. They're at home. They're fighting a Wizards team that really 
uh, is more so fighting themselves than probably playing the other team. So if, if they're going to win a game one, it'll be this one. The only thing is, can Cal Lowry and DeMar DeRozan actually show up in that game one? So if you had to give me a, a gut, what's your prediction? So, you know, this isn't the traditional 1-8 series. I think the Wizards are better than who they have been all season. But unfortunately, 82 games is not a small sample size. The Wizards are probably who we think they are at this point. I think the Raptors won't have too much difficulty dealing with them. I'll give them the gentleman's sweep. Maybe the Wizards will take out one game with their talent. So I say Raptors in five. Nice. For some reason, I don't know. With the Wizards, they, they, they've shown in the past that they could turn it up in the playoffs. And with the Raptors, they, they think the problem with this is they always have shown, or the question about them is can they show up in the playoffs? But I think I'll take the Raptors at seven for this series. Wow, all the way to seven. <laughs> you know, I, maybe I'm giving too much respect to Wall and Beal, but I don't know. I feel like they've shown in the past they, they could, you know, turn it up in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's anything against their talent. I just think that once you lose harmony, it's it's, it's tough to come back. But we'll see what happens. Yep. And on the other side, you know, now when we move on to the Celtics Bucks, we talk about two teams, uh, one who's got all the stars and all the studs and all the talent, and another team that, you know, started off the season with an injury, and it seems like as the season has gone on, they just keep losing parts, and it's a, it's like a, you know, an amazing car just falling apart, part by part. It's been incredible what the Celtics have been able to do with all their injuries. They lost their... Max, uh, the max player they signed in the offseason, Gordon Hayward, five minutes into the season. And then throughout the year, Jalen Brown's been injured, Marcus Smart's been injured, Horford's been out, and unfortunately now with Kyrie. But somehow they held it together. They improved by, I believe, five wins from last year. And I guess that just shows how good Brad Stevens is, right? Yeah, man, Brad Stevens. You know, you're talking about the team that has the coach that's probably going to be up there for coach of the year versus uh, the Bucks, who I, I, to be honest, since Jason Kidd left, I, do they even have a coach? <laughs> yeah, I, I, to be I'm very honest, I actually don't know the Bucks coach's name. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I feel bad for the Bucks, and especially Giannis. I, if he had a good coach or someone who could just sort of come up with an offense and defensive scheme and try to build an offense around him or just put four shooters around Giannis, I feel like the Bucks would just be amazing, and that's just something they haven't been able to do. I feel like the Bucks have a shot this year, just because you know they're playing a depleted Celtics. You finally got Jabari in the playoffs. He's he's been dealing with so much injury his whole season, and hopefully he can stay injury free throughout the playoffs. My whole worry is did Jason Kidd some see something in Jabari that we haven't been able to see so far? Is he not who we think he can be? Is he not going to be able to achieve that potential? Yeah. Um... Jabari, man, another player came in very highly regarded out of Duke, number two pick. He looked pretty good his rookie year in 4G Corey's ACL. And then came back the next year, looked good. And then last year, again, in his third year, he tore his D. And I think it was, it was the other knee, I believe, tore, another, uh, tore his ACL on that knee. And another long rehab. But he's definitely been resilient. But we'll see how he works with uh, Giannis and now Bledsoe. And also Chris Middleton's had a pretty good year, too. Yeah, I mean... The Bucks have all the parts, you know, they got all the talent, they got all the accolades, they got Giannis, who, if he can channel that early season Giannis, I mean, he was playing at a level that we haven't seen a player play at in a long time, you know, Giannis, oh, yeah, sure. early yeah. season, was. we thought he was, was, was going to run away with the MVP, and he's cooled down, but um, they're, they're playing a team in the Celtics who are all about teamwork, you know, they're, they're, they're known for their defense, I mean, they lost Kyrie, um, Kyrie has bought in a lot to the defense this year, but 
Uh, Rozier has been stepping up. Their their team defense is amazing. Although Al Horford isn't known to be the vocal leader, I think he leads by example. He goes in. He's got all the toughness and all the grit. He's you know he's he's a Florida Gator. You know they, that's what they did back then. And yeah, he won two championships there. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's what he's been doing all season for them. My question is, you know, you're putting so much pressure on these young young studs, right? Jalen Brown. I mean, he showed up last playoffs at last year in the playoffs. I don't think there's anything to say about it. Jason Tatum, I think he is quickly forgotten in the Rookie of the Year with you know Donovan Mitchell and now Simmons just crushing it. But he's yeah. he's had a season that that you know I would I would say if if he was there last year uh, he would have been Rookie of the Year, no question. Oh yeah, definitely. Because last year's Rookie of the Year was Malcolm Brogdon, and I feel like no one has even talked about him this year. He's on the Bucks, but he he did have an injury. I believe he's out for the playoffs, but no one's even talking about last year's rookie of the year now. Well, I think they miss him. I think the Bucks need him, and I think that's why the Bucks have been reeling. We we forget Malcolm Brockton can be a good like asset to the team. Um, when he's healthy, yeah. When he's healthy, yeah. And the thing, yeah, I agree with Jason Tatum for sure, but it's just I feel like it's just hard. I mean, he's a twenty-year-old rookie, and now he's about to be the, on the biggest stage, and the Celtics have just asked so much out of him. This was a guy who came into the season; they thought he could be our sixth man. Because they signed for Horford, I mean Hayward, and Hayward goes down. Tatum comes into the starting lineup, immediately becomes he's been playing thirty. I think he's the only player on the uh, team who's played all eighty-two games, or he definitely leads the team in minutes played and games played. Yeah. So I just don't know if that's going to catch up to him in the playoffs with all these minutes played. And he, last year he played maybe thirty games at Duke, but now it's just a whole other animal. Well, yeah, it's a good thing that he's got young legs. I mean, you know, we're not talking about a man in his 15, 15th year playing 82 games. We're talking about a man playing in his first year. So, you know, he, that's true. he he doesn't have the experience that LeBron had. And that's why I don't think it's as much of an accomplishment as something that LeBron had to do this year. My, my, my thing about this is I think uh, Brad Stevens and their defense is going to give the Bucks a little bit of an issue. I think that, you know, they know to focus on Giannis. They know that if they want to have a chance in this series, it's all going to be take Giannis out of the game, make the other guys beat you. And I feel like that team defense, you know, there were, we quickly forget now that we're in the era of amazing basketball offense, but, you know, defense was the stout that won championships for a long time. And, you know, we see the Warriors, as great as the Warriors have been in the past on offense, their defense has been no slouch. You have to be at least middle of the pack in defense in order for you to have success. And I feel like, for the Bucks, they have all this versatility. They have all this, you know, length. All their guys have great wingspans, but that hasn't translated into good defense. And hopefully, these young guys will get some easy buckets to get early in the game to get their momentum. But if not, you know, I feel like if the Bucks can take advantage of their talent, uh, this is a series that's wide open. Yeah, I mean, coming into this year, I think the big thing is, yes, Bucks have the talent, but the Celtics have the coaching. And I don't know, another thing, I guess. Quickly, we could just talk about it. Marcus Smart is out for this first round, I believe, right? Yeah, at least part another, of it, yeah. That's another guy they, that they missed because he brings all the defense, the toughness, and all the intangibles. I feel like Marcus Smart gives them all that. and I feel like they're definitely going to miss him also. Right. And they, they too, are going to have to shorten their lineup. They're, I mean, they were playing some no-names towards the end of the season. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I watched the Celtics game, and I, I didn't know maybe have the players on their team. Well, that's, it's been an unusual season towards the end because... I said, watch. I was looking at some Memphis games and the Suns, Suns games, and I was like, "Wait, since when did the G League become the NBA?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've Brad, they've been so creative with their lineups and props to Brad Stevens. But um, yeah, let's give a prediction. What do you think? You know, um, 
I think the Celtics have, with with Kyrie taking a seat, I think they've accepted that they're probably not going to win this year's championship. I think that this playoffs is going to be really important for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in terms of their maturing and them getting some playoff reps and some playoff minutes and some meaningful playoff minutes, not some garbage time minutes when the series has already been locked up. Um, but I think that the Bucks will pull this one out just surely based on talent. Um, I think the series will go along. I think it'll be, you know, probably six games. Mm, wow, the Bucks upset in this series. Uh, yeah, I, 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 ultimately, I think the Celtics will win this series in six games, but it won't be an easy six games for sure. Um, I think the Bucks, like you said, like we've been saying, they have all the talent, but I think it may just be one or two years away. They have to get a coach and find the right team around Giannis. But, I mean, we've seen this before, right? The best When you have the best player on the court, which is Giannis, if he has a great performance, they could win this series. But I like the Celtics at six. Yeah, I just think that this year with, with Giannis not being the only offensive talent there, you know, I think Jabari can get his own points. I think Bledsoe is going to be a good at- attribute, which they didn't, you know, didn't always have all season. I agree, yeah. The Bledsoe will definitely help. Awesome. Now, probably to the most interesting uh, series for me in terms of maybe not on the court, but off the court, the Sixers and the Heat. Oh yeah, we have a lot of great characters in this series. Yeah, I think the best the best duel of this series is not going to take place on court. I'm excited to see what the Twitter battle between uh, Whiteside and Embiid is going to be like. <laughs> yep, we know they won't be on social media a lot now like LeBron for sure. They'll exactly. be on, uh, very active on their social media. Especially because Embiid's probably going to be sitting for most, if not all, of this series with that orbital fracture. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. They haven't released a timeline. They gave an update saying he had surgery, but a timetable hasn't been decided yet, so... All we know is the picture he posted on Instagram with a black mask on it. He looked pretty bad at it. He <laughs> I looked know. pretty bad at it. That's all I know. I definitely agree with that. But the Sixers are the hottest team in basketball right now. I mean, 16-game win streak going into the playoffs. Simmons is playing out of his mind. He looks, you know, like LeBron married Magic Johnson and had a kid who still can't <laughs> shoot. He's, he's, playing, he, he's playing like the prince. Uh, he put it on Instagram himself. He called it. The, he called himself the Fresh Prince. Exactly. Uh, he's he's just man. The passes that he makes is just incredible. A six ten point guard, dribbles, and the fact that. So I I was one of those people who thought the fact that he can't shoot at all was going to make him like an ineffective basketball player. But he's completely shattered that that whole perception, and he's just been incredible. The passes he makes, he gets to the anywhere on the court anytime he wants. You can just get to the paint with, like, no trouble at all. It's, he's just been incredible. Yeah, traditionally, you think about it, you know, a guy that um, can't shoot is going to get a ton of space between him and him and the basket. And, but, and, and then they struggle because they either take the jump shot or they aren't, aren't able to get into the paint because the defender has all the, all the space. Uh, but he's, he's using that space that the defender gives him to his advantage. He uses it as open court to see, uses vision to make incredible passes. And more so than that, he's using it so that he can get momentum to getting to the basket, which I, you know, I haven't seen that much. He uses that space, he builds up some steam, and once he's got that, he, he can't be stopped. And uh, Sixers have just done a great job. They, the mid-season additions of uh, Bellinelli and Ilyasova, they got, I think they both were, they bought, uh, they were, those players were bought out for their original teams, and the Sixers got them. Yeah, they and needed they the shooting for sure. Yeah, it's shooting, and now they took. They, I believe those two players both come off the bench, and they have like a very full lineup. And they also have Reddick, Covington. They just 
surrounded Simmons with so many shooters. Yeah, and Sarge, so I feel like, is playing out of his mind, too. In today's, like, we think when your point guard can't shoot, it's, like, a huge deal. But with the Sixers, it's not a problem because every other player on this court can shoot besides Simmons. And Fultz. Let's not forget about Fultz. I mean, <laughs> he, he came on yeah, strong. He was he was the guy that uh, everyone had forgotten. They were like, why did they pick him first pick? Did they get duped by the Celtics again? Because that's what the Celtics have been doing for... Celtics and Danny Ainge have been doing for years now, just tricking teams into taking uh, bad players for, and getting yeah. all the draft picks for them. But, I mean, it seems like Fultz has been able to put it together. He, he can't shoot either, and I think he'll take a little bit of time in the offseason to try to work on it getting his shoulder for the rehab and finally going down and working on the nitty-gritty mechanics of his shot, which, you know, didn't seem so bad when he was back in college. But now it just seems like there's a hitch in his shot. It's just um, been one of those weird situations. Like, this guy was had a nice shot in college, a good-looking shot in college, he was a good shooter, was able to make threes, mid-range, layups, everything, and then something happened in the offseason. I don't know what. Like, his shoulder... No, I guess this is, like, one of those great mysteries. Like, we don't know what happened to his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. But I think um, I think that you know we're gonna see a playoffs where you're gonna see a young team, and in my opinion, I think young teams struggle, and it's unfortunate that they're going up against the Heat, uh, not not because of the talent that the Heat have, but because of the coaching that the Heat have. I mean, you know, I know that Simmons has done a great job using that space and being able to get downhill and being able to score at the basket or make great passes, but in the playoffs, you got someone like Spo who gets a seven-game series to game plan, game after game, to try to find the weakness of these players. And these players still have weaknesses. They're young. They haven't you know, completed, completed their repertoire. And I think that the Heat, although undermanned, um, will give the Sixers more of a challenge than people think. I, I agree, yeah. like I think this is kind of similar to the series we just talked about, where the Heat have a guy, a great coach, and Eric Spolstra. He's won championships. He's been there, done that in the playoffs. And the Heat, it's, it's a weird team. I mean, they have all these, they don't have like that superstar talent. I mean, Dwayne Wade is past his prime now, but they just have a bunch of guys and Spo just gets them to play together. And they, they can definitely give a Sixers team who's inexperienced definitely some trouble. Yeah, my only worry is uh, the disgruntled Whiteside. I mean, going into the playoffs, there were some chatterings about Whiteside being upset that he's not getting late end of the game minutes. And particularly in this game, I mean, if you got... If you've got all these big guys uh, on the Sixers that are, that are you know, and, and, and Hassan Whiteside isn't engaged, uh, he's going to have to be pulled off the court. You just can't have a, an unfocused Whiteside playing. I mean, if he's the guy who's disrupting shots at the rim and switching on to smaller people and staying engaged, yeah, you can have him. But, I mean, and I think just the way the NBA is now, it's hard to find sometimes minutes for a guy like Whiteside if teams go small and they play four guards and one big. It's just... It's hard. I mean, who's what? And they have to switch. Whiteside just can't stay on the floor sometimes. But it's, it's yeah, it's a bad situation for the Heat if he's going to cause internal turmoil for them. The bigger question is who's going to be guarding Simmons? I mean, you can't put Dragic on Simmons because he'll just get posted up every play. Who's going to be the guy that's going to be know, on maybe, Simmons? Is it going to be Winslow? Like, who is it going to be? I was just going to say, I think it has to be Winslow. I mean, he's the only one who can match up with him physically in terms of... He's maybe not tall as Simmons, but he can definitely... Uh, like, physically, he's very... Built, so I think you can match up with Simmons there, even though he lacks height. Yeah, yeah. For me, I think Winslow might be the only guy. Maybe James Johnson, but even him, I'm not sure. I think you'd have to go with Winslow. Traditionally, you know, for the Sixers, I feel like young teams don't necessarily do that well in the playoffs. But we're looking at two guys 
who have the confidence out of this world. You know, Sim- uh, Simmons and Embiid kind of remind me of the egos of the NBA legends like Michael and Kobe. They just they believe so hard in themselves that it, I quickly forget that they're rookies. They're usually yeah. you see rookies that are coming in and being afraid of everything, but these guys are completely different. Yep, and then like it is like I said, back they added guys like Redick and Bellinelli and who've been in the playoffs and they. Make deep run, so that could definitely also help them. Fun fact is, Redick has been in the playoffs. Like, I can't, I can't remember the last time Redick didn't make the playoffs. I think every year of his career, I think there's something he mentioned. Every year of his career, he's been in the playoffs. So wow, <laughs> came to a Sixers team that was maybe 130, mid 30s, and now they've moved up to 52 wins. And the first year Redick comes there. Wow, I mean this 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 team reminds me kind of like the Thunder. Uh, you know. Back when they had their first playoff run, they have all the talent there and everyone worries is their inexperience going to hold them back. But the Sixers couldn't have drawn a better uh, better playoff bracket in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the Heat are tough, but um, you know they're, they're, they're in the same bracket as the Celtics. So if they can get past the Heat, uh, round two may not be so so much of a problem. It really worked out for the Sixers, uh, the way this whole bracket set up. And I, th- I, th- I think they'll take the series in five games, the Sixers in five. Yeah, I like, I like the fact that they have home court. I think they'll take the first two games at home. Win. Maybe Miami takes game three, but Sixers will come back game four and five. And I think it'll, it'll be a quick uh, five-game series. What do you think? Yeah, you know, for the first time, I think we agree. I think the Sixers, too much talent, too much confidence. Um, the Heat, they got the coaching, but uh, I think Whiteside's going to get disinterested if he's not being featured. And in this series, I just don't know if you can feature him. Uh, and so... I think I'll, I think the Sixers in five makes sense. All right, so now moving on to our last series in the Eastern Conference, and I mean, do we really need to talk about this one, Cavs Pacers? I mean, at least me, I don't have too much hope for the Pacers in this series. I think LeBron is going to go to another level in the first round again. I I I personally can't remember the last time he lost even a game in the first round, and I think we might be in for another sweep. That's my gut intuition, but what do you think? And I, I think I disagree. I think Pacers have been overlooked this whole season. The Pacers are that team that no one really thought about. And when you look at the standings, you're like, wait, why are the Pacers there? I mean, they lost Paul George last year. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, they've gone into full rebuild mode. You know, they got back um, Victor Oladipo, who looked like a bust from his draft pick. But I think what he needed was to get back home, you know, get back to being a Hoosier, Indiana, where he thrived and he did great. And to me, he's not only the most improved player, but also the best two-way player in the league right now. His defense is impeccable. He did have a lull in the middle of the season where he wasn't playing as great offensively, but they've really turned it up towards the end. And although uh, Miles Turner hasn't taken the jump that I would have expected of him this year, I feel like the Pacers have all the tools to give the Cavs a little bit of trouble. Um, Playoff LeBron is nothing to joke about. But I don't think LeBron has had a team this depleted going into playoffs um, since he was with the old Cavs before he left for the Heat. And the fact that they have, he has all these guys who've never been in a playoff game before. Clarkson, Nance, they've never played in playoffs before. Um, Hood uh, played with Utah last year, but I don't think he had that big of a role. And he, he didn't look that great after he came to the, the Cavs, actually. I yeah. thought Hood would definitely be a bigger contributor for this team. Yeah, he's definitely been a disappointment. I... I don't know, man. I thought Hood was going to be the, the guy that comes in and kind of changes things around because 
he can be electrifying once his jump shot gets going. He can he can be a guy who can carry some of the offensive load, and we just haven't seen that. I feel like we've seen more of a resurgence of J.R. Smith in the second half of the season than really Rodney Hood having a significant role. I just think that the, the team that the Cavs have put together, uh, it was like a Band-Aid on, on, a, on, a, on a big wound. It just isn't going to do it. And I think LeBron is going to go out and get his numbers, but um, I think the rest of the team is going to struggle. And I think this series is going to be more competitive than people think. The Pacers, they, they definitely have the parts. The only thing I'm worried about them is I, do, I don't think it's going to be one of those series where every game is a blowout. They'll keep it close. What I'm worried about is at the end of games when the Cavs know they got to stop Oladipo, they can just always put, like, I guess, LeBron on Oladipo or someone. And then who do the Pacers go from there? They, these other guys, maybe a Thad Young or a Jaron Collison, Corey Joseph, can they take those big shots when Oladipo gets double-teamed? That's what I'm interested in seeing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's that's the struggle. And, you know, you want to keep a guy like Bogdanovich on the court to make shots, but is, is he going to be able to do that if he, if he can't play defense? I mean... Or is he just going to have to go to the bench? And another thing, I guess, it is being talked about, but I guess not. Uh, I wonder what's going to happen with Tristan Thompson now, after this whole scandal. It's an interesting, interesting time. You know, Tell me a little bit about the last time Tristan Thompson got into one of these scandals and what happened. Uh, when was it? I can't remember now. <laughs> Wasn't it a couple of years ago? You know, the Was it 2016 when he had the scandal, when he got with Khloe Kardashian and... Uh, they, he ended up performing in the playoffs, and I think the Cavs ended up winning the, the championship that year, right? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, the, the time the Cavs won, right. I, 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 was that when he got with uh, Chloe, or was it the year, season after? I couldn't remember. Uh, man, I have a tough time remembering. But I mean, All I know is like, Tristan Thompson was not good this season. <laughs> yeah, but we, we've seen him be great in the past, and if he shows up and he plays defense like he's supposed to play, um, the Cavs may have a little bit more breathing room than I think that they really do. But wait, do you think Love and Thompson can play together or no? So I think it depends on the teams that they're playing. I think when you're matched up against um, a bigger team, like if, if, they, if they get to play the Raptors in the second round, if they're put up against Serge Ibaka and Valanciunas, I think you could do that. But I think, you know, if you're playing a, a smaller team, um, I don't really think that those guys can live on the court at the same time because what happens is Love gets pushed to the three-point line then and he loses all of the other intangibles that he brings, which is getting a rebound and doing his quick outlet passes that he's known for. I mean, you take that away, that's that's some easy two, four, six fast fade points that he brings in just by doing his long passes. It's hard to be, can't keep Love off the floor, but at the same time, it's hard to have Love and Thompson. Um, I wonder if they'll go with Larry Hands. Maybe he's been a little bit more, a little bit more athletic than Tristan. And but he struggles getting doesn't. rebounds, that's the problem. He doesn't have the athletic ability of Tristan Thompson, or I mean, in terms of his rebounding. You might pick the Cavs in four. I, I think I think, it's, I think the Pacers have a little bit more gusto. I think at the end of the day, playoff LeBron is playoff LeBron. He's going to put up his numbers. I think the Cavs will prevail, but I think the Pacers can push it to a six-game series. I, I think I'm going to go with the Cavs in four, uh, as cliche as that may sound, but for some reason, it's just hard for me to pick a team, at least in the first round. I believe the Cavs will lose more games in this playoffs than they did last year, where they only lost one, but at least for the first round, it's just hard for me to see the Pacers getting a game in this series. I mean, we always forget that going into Indiana and winning the game isn't that easy. They, they, they have one of the best home courts uh, probably in the league, maybe second to like a Utah or something like that. 
No, no, as in like their crowd and like how how hard it is to go into Indiana and win oh, traditionally. Oh, I see what you mean. Like as in terms of like their home court advantage, like based on the crowd noise and everything. Exactly, exactly. And I think for for a team like the Pacers who haven't been together for too too long, uh, the crowd makes all the difference to get you pumped up. I think it'll be hard for them to go into Cleveland and get get a win, which is why I think it'll probably end in six. And just very quickly, I'm I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think we saw a Ewing theory with these Pacers this year with, after Paul George left? Or do you think do you think he was the reason that they didn't get to their potential or they just found out a different way to play without him? I, I just think that uh, Victor Oladipo has been able to channel something that no one expected. I think he's been what Paul George was for them. He filled a void that Paul George left. You know, We traditionally talk about Paul George as you know, top 15 player, amazing two-way player, amazing defense, and... What's Victor Oladipo been this year? He's been a top 15 player and amazing two-way player. I think that's what they need. I think that was the void that needed to be filled. And I don't think it's the Ewing theory. I think that Paul George wanted to leave and Victor Oladipo needed to be in uh, in Indiana for him to thrive. Yeah, I think coming back to Indiana has definitely helped uh, Oladipo. Definitely, definitely. All right, ready for the Western Conference now? Uh, yeah, the Western Conference playoffs, man. Was that not thrilling at the end of uh, every game towards the end of the season usually you're checked out at the end of the season you know it's a time to take a break all the brackets are already set you're like oh yeah you know the west is great but it's been decided for weeks but this year i mean that uh i just want to talk about that 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 wolves nuggets game i mean that was incredible wow I, I don't think i've seen a game of that kind of importance and you know, it kind of overshadowed the, the the Portland Jazz game that ended up being having huge implications. And we'll talk a little bit more about what I think and why why I think that Jazz losing the last game ended up being really important. But man, the Wolves being able to pull out that game at the end. Denver, Denver gave up a great fight, and that's a young team that I think is going to have a bright future. I think they have yeah. all the talent to make them continue to thrive. I think I think the Wolves deserved probably to be in this playoffs after being in third for most of the. Uh, regular season until Butler went down, and then they took a big, big, big hit. But yeah. since Butler's come back, they've been they've been pretty good. I think they're three and zero since he's been back. Yeah, I think they closed out this uh, season with three straight wins after Butler came back. So he he made all the difference with this team throughout the year. They were about the third seed, the Timberwolves. Um, when Butler right around went, but they were the third or fourth seed, and then Butler went down, and they slid all the way to the number eight. Almost did not make even make the playoffs. So he definitely makes all the difference for that team. Yeah, my concern this whole season about the Wolves is that they, they've lacked identity. I mean, you know, in the beginning of the season, you had Butler deferring a lot um, to Wiggins. You know, then Butler decided that he's going to be the man there. And he did a good job doing that. And then when Butler went back down, you saw that Wiggins was trying to be the guy there. My, my, my question is, what's, what's their identity? I mean, they have Tibbs. They're supposed to be a great defensive team, but Carl Anthony Town has been shaky defensively. Wiggins, who has all the... Uh, the physicality of a great defensive player he just isn't there like what I, I don't know what's going on and the thing that you know confuses me so much is Carl Anthony Towns is clearly their second best player after Butler but he's putting up less shots than Wiggins how does that make sense Wiggins just he just doesn't have the fortitude to be the second best player on a team that's going to have a late playoff run I mean it was weird right so Butler went down and then we thought all right Wiggins is gonna have to take game improve scoring, like playmaking, everything, take on a more leadership role. But what we saw was the opposite. I mean, uh, Towns went to a whole other level after Butler went down. He was basically the reason the Wolves even stayed afloat after Butler went down. And then Wiggins, 
he his scoring did go up, but if you look actually look at the numbers, it's all because his field goal attempts went up, and it wasn't like he was being more efficient or anything. So it's it's been weird with Wiggins. He has all the tools to be a great defender, a two way player, but I don't know what's missing there. And he's got this big contract now from the Wolves. So he's gonna they they've committed to him, so it's up to Tibbs to get the most out of him. On the flip side, I mean, when you talk about the Rockets, you're talking about this team that's scorching hot. I mean, all season they're shattering records. You're looking at a team that. You know, traditionally, when you think about basketball, shouldn't be succeeding like they are. They're isolation heavy. They have like the least passes per per possession or something like that. Um, they are relying on this deadly, deadly step back shot by James Harden. But they just seem like no one's really going to stop them. Unfortunately for them, I feel like the Timberwolves are kind of a kind of a tough draw for for a team in the West that's the number one seed. The Timberwolves are better than I think that their record shows. I think that they're, in my opinion, probably better than New Orleans and uh, maybe even better than better better than the Spurs and maybe even better than Portland, um, just based on the talent that they have, not necessarily how they've performed. Definitely not the greatest draw for the Rockets, but I mean they definitely have a great a lot of talent. But I mean I guess we do have to talk about it, right? We have uh, I mean with the Rockets, the Harden playoffs, his he's had some troubles in the past. Same Chris Paul. D'Antoni, he's had some struggles, so I don't think it'll uh, show up in the first round. I mean, they are a much better team than the Timberwolves, so I think they'll be fine. But one thing that no one's really talking about is this uh, Luke Richard Malbute injury. Yeah, man, when that shoulder came out, I was like, "This is what happens when you're playing your good players at, at the end of at the end of the season." I mean, they'd already locked up the first seed. It's it's kind of like the the worst possible scenario for them. Exactly. I mean, he he's definitely one of their best. I mean, he's not one of the best players, but they're one of their best defenders for sure. He allowed them to switch everything on defense, and he he was able to make wide open threes, which is what the Rockets really need out of him. Yeah, he's 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 definitely a versatile player, and I think he'll be missed. Uh, I don't know how long is he going to be out for the whole playoff or at least the first round. I think he'll, he'll be out for the first round for sure. But I mean, with the shoulder, even when he does come back, his shots could always re-injure it, or if the rehab, or if somewhere along the line, if he does miss more time, I think he'll definitely. Uh, the Rockets will definitely feel the loss of his impact. Yeah, I I agree, but you know I I I think I think for me Harden's been the MVP all season. He's been playing on an unbelievable level. You know, missing a guy like Mambute probably will help them uh, hurt them later in the playoffs. But I I agree with you. I think that the Rockets have too much too many weapons um, to be slowed down by a team like the Wolves. I mean, who are they going to put on? On Harden and Paul, I mean, they can't rely on an old Derrick Rose. I mean, I know Tibbs loves De- loves Derrick Rose from his MVP season back at the Bulls, but <laughs> he loves his he loves his Bulls. Exactly. I mean, Todd Gibson has been remarkable for them. I, I think that that was a great acquisition. But oh yeah, he, he played amazing defense on Jokic that night. Exactly. That last game. Exactly. But I just I just don't think the Wolves have the, the defensive prowess, which is kind of funny thinking that Tibbs is probably changed how defense is played right now more than any other coach in the NBA. Um, yep. But I just don't think they have the tools to guard someone like Harden and Paul. Jeff T can't guard either of them, and Jimmy Butler could only guard one of them. So unless Wiggins steps up on defense, it's it's not going to be looking good for the Timberwolves. Um, I think I'll, I'll, I like the Rockets in five in this series because yeah. I, I feel like Timberwolves will say have one game at home where their crowd really gets into it, and Butler will have a big game. Or Towns, one of those guys will have a big game and lead the lead them to one win. And I guess in a in a seven game series, the Rockets may be due for one bad shooting night. So, and I think that's the game the Timberwolves will probably take. So I'll take the Rockets in five. You know, I I like to agree with you, but I I just think the Rockets have too much firepower. I think that 
they've already played their players most of the season, and I think they're going to be looking for for rest in the early parts of the playoffs because you know they they may have a tough draw next next round, whether it's you know the Jazz or the Thunder. So I think that they're going to be trying to wrap this up really quickly. And for me, I think this is going to be the the most competitive four game sweep uh, that I've seen in a while. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening too. All right, now on to our next one, the Warriors and Spurs. Man, if this was a 2017 playoffs, I would be licking my chops at this matchup. I mean, wow, the Warriors and the Spurs. I mean, this is the the, the, the series last year of what could have been if uh, Zaza Pachulia, um, you know, didn't injure Kawhi Leonard the way he did. And the uh, Warriors will not have Steph, but I think the Warriors got lucky with this draw because they face a team who's also missing their uh, star players. So Steph, we know, is out for the first round for sure. And I think they got lucky that they get to face a Spurs team without Kawhi. So the draw worked out for them. Yeah, I mean, Lamar Soldiers has been playing out of his mind. Uh, he's really, you know, for a guy who was thinking about leaving in the offseason and requesting a trade, um, Greg Popovich really turned around his relationship with him. I think that the fact that, you know, Kawhi wasn't available definitely helped that out. But LaMarcus has been playing some great basketball. The unfortunate truth is the Spurs have a dichotomy, right? They have a bunch of old guys. You're going you're gonna to rely on guys like Manu and Parker and pa, uh, Paul Gasol to try to lead them into the, the, to get deep in the playoffs. Um, but I really think that their young, their youth is who they should be relying on. I mean, I think that Dejounte Murray has been been incredible. I mean, his defense has been much better than I would have expected, particularly when they made the decision to move Tony Parker to the bench. Murray's been uh, surprised. I mean, this is another example with the Spurs, right? A late round first first round pick. A lot of people passed on him. The Spurs took him and made developed him, and now he's looking like a pretty good player and a steal for the Spurs. I just hate that the Spurs keep doing this. Well, that's what happens when you got R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich. You know, you got a guy who looks for talent and gets talent, and you got a guy who knows how to get the most out of his players. I mean, is there any other coach in the NBA who gets more out of their players than Greg Popovich does? The coaching job that Popovich did this season is just in- simply incredible. Didn't have Kawhi, and pretty much, I think he played nine games, Kawhi. Well, LaMarcus Aldridge also missed some time. He had sprained ankles, in between. But still got this team into the playoffs. They, their streak of 50 game, uh, 50 wins a season was broken. But I mean, that was understandable considering the talent that was on the floor for them. I think this is this is the the Spurs version of rebuilding, and that's what we're seeing right now. We haven't seen the Spurs really blow it up and rebuild completely. But I think that this 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 year is not about them trying to compete for the championship. But it's about kind of passing the reins from the old the old uh, empire to the new empire. I mean, that it just goes to show when Murray's getting to start over Parker. The Spurs could have easily tanked this season, like a lot. we've seen a lot of our other teams do in the NBA, and just said, oh, Kawhi's out, let's just tank this season, get a high pick, get one of, get the next Duncan or David Robinson, and then rebuild or have our uh, cornerstone for the next 20 years. But off, off to them, they said, no, we're going to be competitive and try to make the playoffs with the guys we have. Yeah, yeah. And on the flip side, you talk about the Warriors, and I feel like this is the most vulnerable we've seen these Warriors in uh, in a long time. Yeah, it's just one of those weird seasons. I they, they finished the season seven and ten over the last seventeen games, and they just look completely disinterested. If you want, like watching these games, they no one looks like they're trying on the floor. They didn't want to win, and they they I mean, they, so they won two championships, but with this current team, they only won one ring. But they they've been playing like. We won like five championships or something. Like they look totally disinterested. I, I they say that we could just turn it on in the playoffs, but 
it's it's hard sometimes. I I think with against the Spurs they'll be able to be able to turn it up, but I'm kind of scared for them as they move on in these playoffs. Yeah, I think we're seeing the plight of uh, dynasties in general. Whenever we talk about a dynasty, we always always talk about three rings. I mean, we had the Lakers first dynasty and the Lakers second dynasty, and we always talk about these dynasties of teams putting together you know three to four great playoff runs. Whether it was the Heat most recently. And I think that that's what we're seeing with the Warriors. I think that after you've been together for a really long time and you know how each other play and you know that you're at the top of the NBA, you just lose that interest. And turning on those gears takes a little bit of time. And I think that's why they got lucky with the straw because they can take this series. And even if it goes a little bit deeper than they would like it to go and they have to play a couple of extra games, I think it'll set them up for next their next series by getting you know all the engines rolling. And not to mention that I think that they, they probably drew the best playoff scenario that they could have had because in the next round if they move on past this round they're gonna have to play to the pelicans or the trailblazers they got lucky that they avoid the thunder in the second round too now um so it, they they do make it to the conference finals they play either the rockets or the winner of winner of the thunder and jazz yeah I think but one other point is like I, I wonder if like nick young right guys like nick young and quinn cook guys that played huge regular season minutes they're gonna have to count on them now in the playoffs and i wonder if they'll show up or you know, Nick Young's been with the was on Lakers for the last four years. Didn't even come in since the the playoffs at all. So I wonder what's going to happen so the, there. Uh, they're going to have to shorten their the roster. I think they they've relied on a lot of great guys, but I think you're going to have to go back to guys like Iguodala to look for their leadership. And you know, guys like Durant are really going to need to step up. I've been pretty disappointed this season when Durant's on the court without Curry. They haven't been very good and. It just goes to show you, is Durant supposed to be the second fiddle forever? I mean, people, as soon as they, as soon as soon he got to the Warriors, said that he was the guy and Curry was going to take a back seat. But I still think Curry is the vocal leader and is the leader on the court because you see it, they struggle. They struggle when Durant is their main option. Uh, there's a stat about how every time he scored 40 plus points or something, they actually have a losing record this season. Wow. It's not that the more scoring he does that they win, so... Um, but yeah, I, I think when it comes down to this series, I like the Warriors, and I'll take them in six games. Um, I think they'll the first they'll split the first couple games at home at, in Golden State. I just don't like how the Warriors have looked. I feel like one of those games are going to come out flat, and that'll be a wake-up call for them. And then maybe Spurs, it'll be 2-2 heading into Game 5, and then I think the Warriors will finally get their act together and win the last two. Yeah, you know, I, I have tremendous respect for Pop, but he's going in with a team of a team that just lacks the talent that you need against a team like the Warriors. Uh, you can have the best coach in the world, but if you don't have the talent, I don't think it's going to be possible to be a dynasty like the Warriors. And, you know, I'm going to say that Greg Popovich is going to come up with something new uh, in the playoffs that's going to catch the Warriors off guard. But you have to remember that Steve Kerr is a disciple of Greg Popovich. He knows a lot of the tricks in his bags. And that's why I think that the Warriors, even if they aren't on their game, have a little bit of an advantage because they know what the Spurs game planning will kind of be like. Um, I think Greg Popovich will be able to squeeze them one game where LaMarcus Aldridge just abuses, you know, Draymond Green or something like that in the paint. Um, I think I got the Warriors in five. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, ultimately Warriors take it. It just comes down to how many games this first can uh, win in the series. Exactly, exactly. And now when we talk about moving on to the next one, I mean, the Trailblazers, the, the, that last win may have gave, given them um, the best first round matchup of all of them. Oh yeah, for sure. I think they were they were the fourth seed. I think Portland going into that last game, and Utah was the third. So that last game between the Jazz and Blazers was basically for the third seed. 
Yeah. And it, the draw ended up working out for them that they get to face a Pelicans team that, basically, I mean, let's be honest, they overachieved a lot after Bookie Cousins went down. Yeah, and, and I know you were talking about the Ewing theory, but is this the real Ewing theory? Is this, since Cousins have gone down, I mean, wake up Rondo, what happened? This is like, this is Rondo <laughs> from the Celtics. I, I saw the off the backboard pass to to Anthony Davis, and I was like, what is going on? I mean, there's yeah, a vicious this is slam. Like, uh, Celtics Rondo all of a sudden. Exactly. And I think I almost lost my mind when I saw that they were playing Mecca Okafor. I know. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, we know Anthony Davis doesn't like to play center, but come on. They, I can't believe they were playing Mecca Okafor out there and still winning games. That's the crazy part. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I have a tremendous respect for Drew Holiday. He's been dealing with a lot of stuff. Uh, in terms of injuries and trying to stay healthy and staying on the court. I think people quickly forget that uh, when the Sixers were struggling, Drew Holiday was kind of the guy who kept them together when they were tanking. He was the guy that was leading them to wins. And when he got to New Orleans, he's just not been that same guy. But I think he's putting it together. He's been healthy. He's been a contributor. He's making Anthony Davis finally have a guard that he can rely on game in and game out to show up. Drew Holiday, um, he got that big contract in the offseason. And everyone is very skeptical especially with his injury history, but he's managed to stay on the floor this year, so props to him. And like you said, he's given Davis that point guard that he's always needed. Yeah, and I think the X factor in this series, for me, uh, is going to come down, for at least the Pelicans, is going to come down to Miritich. I mean, he was playing like Michael Jordan when he was with the Bulls, and he's cooled off, but, I mean, (laughs) when Miritich gets hot, he he can be a guy that can win you a game or so, and I think that's what the Pelicans will need, because... You can't rely on, you know, the guys that they've been relying on to win games. I mean, each one more as as your, you know, third or fourth or fifth option just isn't going to do it, especially when you're playing a Trailblazers team that's been together for a while and has, you know, the swagger of McCollum and Damian Lillard who can each go off for 50 points in a game. Lillard and McCollum have just been incredible this year. And especially Lillard, he, I think after the All-Star break, with all the talk about whether he should have been an all-star or not, like people taking shots at him. I think Russ took a shot at him. He just went off after the all-star break and led Portland to the third seed because all those teams were really bunched in there and then Portland kind of separated themselves in the middle. They had a slump to close out the season, but Lillard was just, uh, I mean, he's got to be one of like all NBA guards this year for sure. He just was on another level. Oh yeah, and I definitely think he should be in the conversation for MVP. I mean, I think Harden's going to run away with the MVP and LeBron will probably finish second, but... Um, I think both Anthony Davis and uh, Damian Lillard have to be up there. When when Lillard went to go talk to the owner um, in the middle of the season, everyone thought that that's it. You know, Lillard is probably going to ask to leave or ask to make significant improvements with the team. But I think he was just seeing the owner to tell him that, hey, look, I believe in this team and I'm going to work my ass off to try to make this team as best as we can make them. Yeah, I agree. On the on the Trailblazers side, I think that the X factor is going to be Nurkic. I mean. When he came from Denver to Portland last year, he just played incredible. He was he was playing out of his mind. I mean, I thought that this year, if Nurkic took a step up from what he was playing at the end of last season, the Trailblazers were the team to be reckoned with. But he took a little bit of a you know a, a slump throughout the season. But towards the end of the season, he was really putting things together and he's acting like the Nurkic who can maybe go out there and slow down Anthony Davis even slightly. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, last year we saw that in the first round with the Warriors and Blazers, Nurkic didn't play in that series. So he might have played one game, but I feel like if Nurkic was there, he could have definitely given the Warriors some fits. This guy's got 
incredible size, he's really good around the rim, finishes, and he's just the perfect complementary big to Lillard and McCollum. I think at the end of the day, when it comes down to what, what's going to happen in this series, I think that Anthony Davis is probably single-handedly going to be able to try to win uh, you know, the Pelicans a game or two, but I think at the end of the day, Portland just has all the tools, has the guards in this guard-driven league to try to you know put up the points that I don't think the Pelicans might be able to. And uh, I see the Trailblazers probably moving on in, uh, in six games. I mean, I like the Trailblazers in this series as well. I, uh, I think they'll actually take it in five games in the series. They finish out game five at home. And like you said, Lillard and McCollum just are totally on another level. And the Pelicans just have no one to guard them. Unless Rondo channels, like, once again, his uh, mid to that or, like, the, the championship Celtic uh, defense. But I think the Blazers ultimately take it in five yeah, and, you know, moving on to the last of our playoff series, you know, looking at what I think is going to be the most exciting series. I think this is going to be the series that uh, really defines these two teams. We're talking about the Thunder and the Jazz, and the Thunder come in with this new super team after adding, you know, Carmelo and Paul George in the offseason. And this whole season, we couldn't, I couldn't really figure out the Thunder. You know, they started off struggling. Everyone was getting 20 points a game. It was all about sharing the ball, and it wasn't working for them. They were losing too many games. But then, you know, in the middle of the season, they, like, put it together. They got a bunch of wins in a row. And unfortunately for them, you know, I think uh, losing Andre Robertson took a big hit on their defensive scheme. I think when you have a guy like Melo or a guy like Russ, who aren't the greatest defenders, I mean, Russ can be when he locks in, but I think he gambles a lot. Having a guy like Roberson to, you know, complement uh, Stephen Adams and Paul George in order to have, like, three uh, good defenders on the court... I think losing him really made a big difference, and I never realized Andre Robertson was so important to this team. It's really made the Thunder have to reevaluate who yeah, they I mean, are. When Robertson went down, I thought he's just one of those guys, like, like he's not even a 3 and D guy, considering he can't make threes, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was just, like, an incredible defensive wing, and, you know, those guys, you could just find someone, like, and they tried. They tried playing, like, Ferguson, Josh Eustace, and then at towards the end, they started playing Corey Brewer, who was a little bit better than the first dude that they tried, but... I didn't realize like Robertson was like able to the one who held their whole defense together because Paul George was playing. He didn't have to guard their uh, the other team's best defender, so Paul George would kind of play like free safety and go for all these steals. And Russ would just like same thing. And then because of Robertson, they were also able to hide Melo on defense more. But th- that was all gone after he went out. It's incredible. I mean, had the guy played the whole season, he should have been in conversation for Defensive Player of the Year based on what we know now after since he's gone down. That, that injury almost made him like uh, more of a candidate than when he was playing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, my question to this season is going to be, you know, what's going to happen with Russ? I mean, Russ thrives when he gets to the basket, but we know that Rudy Gobert, since he's been back from his injury, uh, kind of locks down that paint and really decreases the amount of shots that people end up taking in the paint or even their percentage. And I'm worried that uh, Westbrook is going to become a jump shooting guard rather than his normal you know, go to the paint kind of guy. And if that happens, I don't think Westbrook has a good enough shot um, to help the Thunder get through the series. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, his jump shot, outside shot is definitely not consistent. And he shot, he shoots a lot of threes, but his percentage isn't that great. So it'll be interesting to see when the Jazz force Russ to be a jump shooter. If he'll continue to just jack up shots or they'll realize I got to play a different way and maybe, you know, pass it out to Melo and PG more and let them take the outside shots and he can take his drives when he needs them or the one-man fast breaks that he does from one side of the court to the other. Yeah, I'm really, I think this this series is going to define who the Thunder are and 
what the decisions for Paul George is going to be in the upcoming summer. Um, but, you know, I'm still, I still can't believe that the Jazz were able to do what they did this year. I mean, they, they lost a guy like Hayward, who I thought was the heart and soul of that team, um, out of this new guy, Donovan Mitchell, who, you know, no one thought he was going to be what he turned out to be. I mean, he's been, he's been ridiculous. He's been, in my opinion, the, the rookie of the year. No, no offense to Simmons, who's been putting up great numbers and has been leading the Sixers in a more depleted Eastern Conference. But I think the Jazz... Uh, have been playing way above what they should be playing at. And the fact that they were able to finish off this, the year so strong um, is, is, is on the shoulders of Donovan Mitchell. Props to Quinn Snyder. He did a great job coaching this team. I mean, they were pretty much out of it. They were dead in the water. And then they just turned it around. They gave the keys to the offensive mental, and they just went to a whole other level. It'll be interesting, though. Once again, like you were talking about this with Tatum, um, a rookie who was, I mean, he was great all regular season, but we'll see. I mean, this is his first go around in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. Yeah, I think the guy that people don't really talk about on the Jazz is uh, Joe Ingles. I think he's been, his, his shot selection and his shooting has really kept the Jazz uh, afloat all season. I think that Donovan Mitchell has been playing great, but I think you need other scorers. And Rudy Gobert for all of his great defense and probably going to be the defensive player of the year this year. Um, if you don't have any other offense, you're going to struggle. And I think that sneaky great move of the season that people don't really talk about is them getting rid of Rodney Hood, who's, who's been struggling for some time, I feel like, to find his fit on the Jazz. I think he's a great player who would come in off the bench and get a lot of points. But I think he was struggling to find his role. His minutes were getting cut down. And they traded him away to get a guy like Jay Crowder, who is who's kind of dead in the waters in Cleveland and has come back and kind of had a little bit of a resurgence of his three and D kind of lifestyle back when he was with the Celtics. Yeah, Jay Crowder, I mean, they decided we're going to pop, once again, pops to him. But got Jay Crowder and kind of get the most out of him. And, uh, but yeah, I, I like it. I, this is going to be an interesting series. Like, I've been back and forth on this. I really don't know, like, who I like in this series or how it's going to go. I think game one will tell us some sort of, uh, give us more information on who's been playing well or how each team matches up on offense and defense. It'll be interesting. I, I, I have the Thunder just because of their talent in seven, but I think the Jazz are going to, you know, that, that last game, the last game of the season where they lost the Blazers is really going to come down to haunt them all, all summer long because not only did they lose uh, positioning of third seed, but they also dropped all the way to fifth where they lost home court. And I think at the end of the day, that's what's going to give the Thunder the edge. I think that home court... Uh, in Game 7 is really what's going to help elevate them to move on to the next round. Uh, I, I like the Thunder in 7 as well. I think that this will be a very tight series. And the fact that uh, the Thunder had the home court advantage in Game 7, with, and they and their home court is pretty strong, I think that's what will carry them. And I think ultimately, Russ and PG will figure it out, and the Thunder will win this in 7. I'm excited to see how this uh, Rookie of the Year thing uh, lines up seeing that Donovan Mitchell is going to be trying to lead his team in the playoffs. I know the playoffs don't really have any implication on regular season awards, but um, I just I, I think I want to see, you know, this historically great rookie class that we've had so far. Like, how are these guys like Tatum and Simmons and Mitchell, who are not only just good rookies, but they're the leaders of their team. How are they going to perform in the playoffs when the pressure is on? Yeah, it's a great rookie class. Somehow these guys have stepped up as, like you said, as leaders of their team in addition to being effective. Yeah, this is going to be a great playoffs, I think. I think we've, for the last couple of years, it's been kind of uh, bookended that, you know, we're going to snooze for the first 
three rounds and wait till the finals and it's going to be the Warriors and the Cavs. But I think, you know, it might be another Warriors and Cavs series going to the finals. But I think this year there's a lot of teams that are going to make some noise. And the fact that the Western Conference is tight and so tight uh, all the way to the last game of the season, I mean, it's going to be exciting. All these teams, especially, you know, three through eight are all so evenly matched in terms of record and probably in terms of talent. Um, I'm excited to see what, what uh, the playoff brings. I'm very excited. I think it's going to be one of the better first rounds. And uh, every series, is, there's like definitely storylines to every series that you can't just be like, right at all. And that's what makes this playoffs great. Yeah, man. I love that we've been talking about the playoffs and basketball for so long. And uh, we've finally been able to put it together in a cohesive manner. And hopefully everyone that's listening to this will love it. I mean, it's something we've just wanted, been wanting to do for a long time. And... Somehow, like, it, was, it wasn't too bad. I like that we just got to air out all our thoughts. So we always just talk about it. And we're like, why not just make it a podcast? All right, man. I think we'll we'll regroup once the playoffs have started to talk about what's going on, talk about the storylines, the, the, the series. Maybe we were right, maybe we were wrong. But um, I'm excited to watch what happens. Same. All right, man. It was good talking to you. All right, take care. All right. Bye. Bye.